I'm Billy Ray. And I'm Joel. And you're listening to Tales from Wisteria Lane. The podcast where we give a fair view of all things Desperate Housewives. Go! Hi guys, and welcome back to Tales from Wisteria Lane. I'm Joel. I'm Billy Ray. And today we will be discussing Season 1, Episode 20, Fear No More. Fear No More. So, I will be doing the overview and B will be doing the trivia and stuff. So, give us what you've got. So this episode was written by Adam Barr and directed by Jeff Melman. The episode title, Fear No More, is a song in the Stephen Sotheim musical, <laughs> figures, The Frogs. The lyric is actually a setting from William Shakespeare's play, Cymbeline. 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 We've only just listened to the song. My interpretation of the lyrics are that, although people fear death, don't, because it's inevitable. I don't really know what I thought about the song, oh, in geez. all honesty. It was, I've never heard of this musical before in my life. It was the strangest thing. It was beautiful and haunting, but I got zero meaning from it. All right. But when you read the lyrics, it does sound like that. It sounds very much like, don't fear death because it's going to come for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, We. I guess we can discuss at the end how we think it's But this relevant. musical, The Frogs, that neither of us have heard of, we just read up on it. It sounds wild. It sounds crazy. It was performed in a Yale swimming pool in the 70s and it had Meryl Streep and Sigourney Weaver in it. I love Sigourney Weaver. Ran for eight shows and that was it. Yeah. Like, I would kill to see that. Meryl Streep and Sigourney Weaver. Maybe we can find some something on YouTube. I doubt it would have been filmed. <laughs> so the German title for this episode, which I'm not even going to try and pronounce, is Spring Fever. Translates to Spring Fever. Okay, yep, yep. Which, does, it's got a much different ring to it than Fear No More. Yeah. The next maiden name is revealed in this episode as Linguist. Linguist? Sorry. Oh, it is! Yeah! For the first time. Yeah. The character of Mr. Shaw, played by Richard Roundtree, works for the Haft, Hafts Detective Agency. Hafts is an anagram of Shaft, 1971, whose title character was also played by Richard Roundtree. Oh, okay, yeah. Shaft! That's the one. Yeah. Martha Huber is in this episode um, after we haven't seen her for quite a few episodes, because she's dead. And then after this, we don't actually see her again until season five. Oh. Yeah. That's it? Yeah. She's not even in the last episode of this season? I thought that she would have made a little, like, cameo in the season finale. Oh, well. Apparently not. Apparently we don't see her until season five now. Yeah. And then Mark Cherry says that originally the plot was that Tom had a child with Annabelle that he and Lynette didn't know about, but the network thought that it was too much. And I think this might allude back to that conversation he was having with his dad in one of the previous episodes. You know, when he's like, oh, I've got a terrible secret or something. Yeah, maybe that is. For reasons that we shan't say, it's a little bit ironic Yeah, <laughs> that they decided this story wasn't too much. Like, okay, well, I guess that somewhere down the line, this story might be used I mean, by they're someone. A, they're a little bit overdramatic anyway with it, because they said very similar stuff about Mrs. Huber's storyline. You know, Martha Huber was not supposed to die, and she was supposed to come back after people had thought that she was dead, and the network felt that that wasn't a believable storyline. But if you watch all of Desperate Housewives, in fact, that's probably the most believable storyline that yeah. they could have given us. Yeah. That's the end of my trivia. That was some interesting trivia. Thank you. So previously, Carlos wanted kids so badly, he decided to tamper with Gabby's birth control to ensure that she has no say over her own body. Mike is handed the file on Deirdre and begins to grow ever more suspicious about a neighbour on the lane. Paul caught Edie inside his house, although Susan was able to get away unnoticed with her help. And we are reminded that George has been tampering with Rex's medication the whole time in an attempt to take revenge on him. Oh dear. So, Mary Alice starts the episode by discussing Susan and how she wants to be a mother in the worst way, whatever that means. And we see an amalgamation of clips showing Susan being a, perhaps at times, a 
negligent mother. A little bit forgetful, you know? Yeah, leaving her, you know, leaving Julie unattended on the sofa as a baby, so she just rolls onto the floor, and Oof. leaving the house in a rush, and forgetting to take Julie with her, and spinning her so fast on the roundabout that she flies off, <laughs> whilst wearing dungarees and a denim cap, by the way. Yeah, why was Susan dressed like a farmer when she's on the merry-go-round? I don't know. Merry-go-round? Oh, yeah, it's called merry-go-round, isn't it? <laughs> I would just like to point out, 2000s fashion flash with those dungarees. That was a real 2000s fashion flash. Flash from the past. <laughs> uh, but yeah, anyway, but parents make mistakes, and you know, they learn and grow from them, and blah blah blah. So we come back to Susan in bed, who hears something getting thrown against Julie's window, so she goes into Julie's room to moan at her, because she sees it, it's Zach, <laughs> and Julie tells her mum that she isn't really speaking to Zach, and hence the stone throwing. So Susan storms up to the window, opens it to tell Zach off, and gets her face full of gravel. <laughs> uh, we then cut to Julie, who is cleaning out her mum's eyes, with Zach all apologetic for the blinding incident, and claiming that he did it to talk to Julie, who isn't returning his phone calls. Zach tells Julie he just wants to start hanging out again, but Julie thinks it would be best to cool it. When Zach asks why, Susan chimes in, telling him that throwing rocks into her mother's face is exactly why they should call it. And Zach has no retort to this and leaves, with Julie thanking her mum for doing good. And then I guess Susan just sort of takes her parenting wins when she can. Zach's really aggressive with his apology. He's really... Zach's aggressive with everything. He's like, look, I'll make it up to you, okay? Like, just at teenagers in general, just like, oh, I've been trying to break up with him for weeks. Girl, just do it. Just break up with him. Teenagers make such mountains out of molehills. Zach is giving me those vibes of when you're a teenager and you do know that you're in the wrong, but it's embarrassing, so you just want to get past it and you're like, okay, I'm sorry, whatever. Yeah, yes. It's exactly <laughs> that. Like, you don't, you know you have to apologise, but you don't want to, like, drag out the apology any longer than it has to. So you're like, oh, all right, yeah. fine, whatever, I apologise, yeah. Um, and then we have the opening credits. So Mary Alice starts talking about spring and it's, you know, the same old stuff that people always say, flowers blooming and butterflies coming out of cocoons and blah, blah, blah. But apparently it's also the time when a young man's fancy turns to obsession. <laughs> but I'm not really quite sure Maybe how. it's because of all the pretty colours. Maybe. George Williams seems to be following Bree and Rex, and he takes a moment to stare at them from a distance before going up to them, and Bree seems to be delighted, and Rex really doesn't care. Uh, George goes out of his way to ask Rex about his health, which I've made a point of noticing, but Rex thinks that his doctor is an idiot, blissfully unaware that his doctor isn't really the problem. <laughs> Yeah. George invites both, I use air quotes there, of them to a bonsai exposition, and again, Brie loves the idea, but Rex, th Rex thinks it would be easier to shoot him, to which George agrees. Um, I just want to point something out. Well, um, so this episode, naturally, because it's in keeping with spring and the beginning of spring, it's a very beautiful episode. There's so many lovely colours everywhere. Did you notice this throughout the episode? How yes. colourful it is? Yeah. But what I've really noticed is that George wears a purple tie with diamonds, and Rex wears a pink tie with stripes, whilst the surrounding features pink and purple clashing of each other. Lots of pink flowers and purple, like, Oh! Things. And it's something that I've noticed throughout the episode, but I'm gonna keep you aware of that. Oh, okay. I never noticed that. It's It just kind of was in my face, like, subtly, but also kind of in my face. So George's colour is purple this episode, and Rex's is pink. Okay. And even their patterns are clashing. One is stripes and one is diamonds, but the colours are what's important, and I'm gonna keep an eye out on that. Okay. Bree suggests going just the two of them, but Rex attempts to make up a thing. I'm using air quotes an awful lot on this. <laughs> This episode. No one can see that. I know. <laughs> you can just hear it in your voice. You can hear it in my voice, but I am also doing the air quotes as well. <laughs> Bree doesn't seem to get the hint. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Bree doesn't seem to get the hint, but George sees right through it and calls him out. Bree accuses Rex of being jealous, and Rex disagrees, so Bree arranges to go with just George, and they all link arms and walk away with Bree sort of in the middle of the two of them. Then some gardening shade ensues, with George saying that he hates people that own precious flowers and can't take care of them, and Rex tells George that he hates weeds because they just pop up out of nowhere and you have to work so hard to get rid of them. <laughs> There's something strange about the men being shady to each other. 
<laughs> oh, and she's wearing a flowery blouse. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that. Like, I absolutely love what Brie is wearing in this scene. Like, talk about conceptual. She's wearing a yellow dress with a daisy chain cardigan to a flower show. With that orange hair, she is spring. Right, she is the embodiment of spring. Who's like, who's the goddess of spring? She is. Who's like, no, who's the, who is the, what's the actual name of the Greek goddess of spring? Brie Vanderkamp. <laughs> <laughs> So I bet George loved rubbing Rex's health in his face. Like, you saw it in his eyes. How's your health, Dr. Vanderkamp? <laughs> How's that little heart of yours? <laughs> Brie doesn't even notice that George is only inviting her to this bonsai exposition, by the way. She's just so naive. Like, she doesn't notice that when she touches George on the shoulder, he goes to reach. Yeah. Like, she doesn't notice any of this stuff. She's just so, like, it makes me uncomfortable. She's just completely delusional about his crush on her. Yeah. She doesn't see it. Not delusional. She's blind to it. She's blind to it. Well, she's just very naive in the way she's like, oh, George has said that he just wants to be friends and I believe him. Anyway, we are with Gabby now at the car showroom looking to buy herself a new car. And Gabby would love it to be on her drive by Saturday as she's throwing Carlos a going away barbecue, telling the saleswoman, and it's Linda according to her name tag, that it's for a government sponsored sabbatical. Yeah. Uh, suddenly the odor of the leather makes Gabby nauseous and she throws up in the brand new car. Oh no. Uh, Gabby apologizes and starts to talk to the saleswoman about her currently unknown to her pregnancy symptoms. And the saleswoman tells her not to worry that she went through the same thing when she was carrying and offers Gabby a more child-friendly car. <laughs> this unfortunately offends Gabby who tells the woman she assumed wrong and that she wants the convertible and just not that specific one over there because she threw up in it. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. That was great. Again, I hate what Gabby's wearing. I... It's horrendous. This like thigh length silver skirt. Ugh. The skirt's hideous. The skirt was hideous. I think it only doesn't work well, it doesn't work because of the colour for one thing, but also, if you're going to wear a skirt like that, you can't wear a, a top that's or a extra spot, long. Like a shirt thing that goes down that far. Yeah. Like, I need to see the difference. It needs to cut out your waist so I can see where the skirt starts. Okay. And it needs to be a different colour. I mean, it does definitely need to be a different colour. Trash. Also, it is complete trash. And Gabby's in an open top convertible with the windows down, not actually driving, and she chooses to throw up in the passenger seat as opposed to the outside of the car, which she could easily access. Well, she's not the brainiest of the characters, is she? So, like, she could have just gone onto the showroom floor, which would have spared any damage to the car, been easier to clean. She didn't want to throw up on Linda. She did not want to throw up on Linda. I bet she did by the end of the scene. <laughs> the way that she was, like, offended. Calm down, Gabby. She's just making assumptions from your, like, symptoms, but it's not like she's calling you a cast member of TLC's I Didn't Know I Was Pregnant. But yeah, so... Moving on to Lynette, we are popping by Tom's office to give him a file that he left at home and she sees that Tom has hired his ex-girlfriend Annabelle. This is who... also the scene where we first find out what her maiden name was. Lindquist, yes. Yeah. Um, he dumped Annabelle for Lynette eight years previously and this takes Lynette a bit aback as she starts to realise that Annabelle looks stunning and she, well, looks like she does. Yeah, she looks like Lynette. Yeah. yeah. Annabelle is a proper little bitch and walks up to <laughs> Lynette telling her she looks fantastic. But the shock hasn't quite worn off yet and this is when Annabelle tells Lynette that she has been working with Tom for three months. Oof. You know, at first, I did feel bad for Annabelle when I was hearing the story, but seeing Lynette as a tired mum with a husband, while she's still a successful businesswoman, that must have been perfect. Yeah. So I didn't feel very bad for her after that moment. No, and Tom stays surprisingly quiet whilst this sort of interaction between Annabelle and Lynette is going on. And Annabelle ends up walking up to Tom saying that she must be his dirty little secret and like flirtatiously poking him. And Lynette leaves, but before she does, she throws the file in her hands at Tom. But like with some venom, it's not just like a light pass, like, oh, here you go, catch. It's like she's literally trying to knock him out with it. It's things being thrown at Cindy in Scary Movie. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Annabelle knew what she was doing. <laughs> oh, Annabelle totally knew what she was doing. Didn't Tom tell you? 
She loved saying that. She did. How the mighty have fallen in her <laughs> eyes. And also, I will point out that this isn't the first. No, this isn't the first time. This is the first time, but it won't be the last time that we see a flashback of Tom and Lynette oh, eight right. years previously at the very beginning stages of their relationship. And this flashback of Lynette has her looking completely different to the future flashback of Lynette that we get with Tom. All right. Well, you bear that in mind for the future, then. I will. I'm interested. So her, like her hair in this flashback, you can tell they've just sort of filmed it alongside. <laughs> scene obviously but her hair in this flashback is the exact same hair that she has in the current scene yeah because normally if they're um shooting at a different kind of set or offset they'll do that sort of thing all those scenes at once yeah when it comes to recording television but like the future flashback scene that we get which is a very weird sentence to say um <laughs> has like her hair completely different they've made her look younger like this lynette's the exact same lynette right now so Anyway, Paul pops by Edie's construction site to ask her questions about why she was at his place the other night and what she was looking for. Edie at first plays dumb, sticking to her original story of just dropping off his key, and when Paul threatens to call the police, Edie seems to sort of be taken on for the team until suddenly she changes her mind and tells Paul that it was Susan's idea, and then she proceeds to tell Paul everything else whilst she's at it. Edie, stop talking. <laughs> she sort of thinks you're evil. Yeah, she said but, that, and I was like, Edie, no! Whilst all this is going on, Mike's there at the construction site, obviously doing what he's been hired to do, and sort of listening intently, and Paul asks Edie if Susan found what she was looking for, but Edie assures him that she didn't, but she does manage to tell Paul that, you know, she thinks he's evil, and Paul shrugs this off, <laughs> thanks Edie, and leaves. He really doesn't seem to feel that bothered about someone calling him evil. She's like, he sort of thinks you're evil, and he's just like, eh. He's probably got that a lot. He's very intense. He is very intense. Also, Mike's bruises certainly healed up. It really has. We don't really know how long it's been, though. No, we don't. But there is, like, no, even, like, a slight yellowing, just where it's, like, almost healed, but there's still just a little bit there. Like, there's no sort of anything like that. No, he didn't look completely, like, 100% healed or anything. Like, you could, I, I feel like I could tell that he'd been hit, but I'm not sure if that was just my brain putting things together. Yeah, probably. That Your brain's probably true. filling in the gap that you yeah. know is there. I was like, shouldn't he be bruised still? Oh, I guess there's something. <laughs> shouldn't he be dying? <laughs> yeah. Didn't he shoot himself? Edie really didn't need to tell Paul that much. Edie just doesn't care. Like, she's not in it for the drama. She's just... No, she just doesn't want to get arrested. She's like, all right, here you go. This is everything. Let me down. And in Edie's defence, she did not want to break in. Also, she's got a house to get building. Yeah. She's got things to do. She needs Paul off her back. Edie didn't want any of this drama. She didn't want to break into the house. She didn't want to do any of that. She just wants to get rid of him as quickly as possible after kissing him as well. Yeah. Like, this is awkward. So Mike has a quick discussion with Edie after Paul leaves, uh, just sort of asking what that was about, and Edie turns to Mike and says everything that happened about how her and Susan broke into Paul's house, blah, blah, blah. Um, and that sort of leaves Mike a bit concerned, especially with Mike suspecting Paul in the murder of Deirdre right now. Yeah, after what we found out in our recent episode. Yes. He's come across that list of people that had that bought the toy chest. Yes. And Paul's name's on there. So, moving on. Susan picks up a clearly empty coffee cup and pays the woman and goes to leave the coffee shop. Oh, the magic of television. <laughs> yep. This is when we see Mike walking in and in a bid to avoid an awkward scene, Susan creates an entirely different awkward scene and sits down at a random table with three other women, clearly trying not to be noticed, but the other women just... <laughs> Just end up looking there a bit concerned and confused. <laughs> they completely stop their conversation. Uh, this doesn't stop Mike, though, who goes up to the table to get Susan's attention, and he asks her if she's still avoiding him, to which she says, no, no. Clearly not. <laughs> no, apparently not. He warns Susan to stay away from Paul. Apparently she was planning on doing that anyway, but before Mike leaves, Susan asks why he wants her to stay away, but Mike just knows he's a bad guy. 
This is completely Susan. She tries to avoid an awkward situation and she makes it 10 times worse. Like she didn't need to just sit in front of those women. She really didn't need to sit in front of those women. She could have just sort of talked to him, talked to him or hidden behind a newspaper or quickly ran to the loo. Or ignored him. Or ignored him. If she's still in a mood. Yeah. But she made it so much more awkward. And the way that those women looked at her when she sat down. Oh yeah. I would look exactly the same though. It was perfect. I would be exactly the same. But I do like the fact that both Susan and Julie are avoiding the men in their lives right now. Yeah, that's a nice little parallel. Like, Not Julie's parallel. avoiding Zach, Susan's avoiding Mike, Sophie's avoiding Morty. Like, we're assuming she's avoiding Morty. Nothing's happened with Sophie and Morty, yeah. to be fair. But, you know, Sophie's avoiding the situation. I think Morty's Morty. probably avoiding her. Yeah, probably. So I think that the three women of the Bremer, Meyer family tree, uh, they're going along together. Yeah, I get that. For the ride. At Rex Tellsbury, he's been thinking about the pharmacist and that he doesn't think she should go to this expo with him. The bonsai expo, you know, the little trees. Bree is still being naive and claims he's the only friend she has that is interested in cultural things. Because, you know, forget the other women. I mean, Susan's into art. Susan's into art. Lynette's into... Moving on. <laughs> yeah. But Gabby's into, like, architecture and fashion and things like that. Yeah. So that's also cultural. Just because they're not interested in flower arranging, Brie. Yeah, or the country club. Right? Oh. Rex is adamant that George is still in love with her, but Brie believes George when he says that he just wants to be friends. Rex tries to convince Brie that George was lying, telling her that he saw the way his hand trembled when she touched him, and that was exactly how he reacted when they first started dating. This seems to convince Brie, who doesn't want to hurt George again, and Rex believes they should also change pharmacies, which I also agree, Rex. Change your pharmacy! Before it's too late. <laughs> Brie admits that she will miss George, as he always makes her feel good about herself. She finishes her flower arranging and goes to leave, but before she does, she asks Rex if his hands still tremble now and Rex laughs and says no but they've been married for 18 years now and however Brie doesn't appreciate this level of honesty. No she does not and Rex always refers to George as the pharmacist in he a condescending way. He hates him. He, I absolutely can't even look him in the eye. I live for it. Like <laughs> it's the, the fact that he is so petty that he can't even use George's name. <laughs> Remember that, what I was saying about how they have their colours, the pink and the orange? Yeah. Well, in this scene... Oh, the scene, pink and the purple. Yeah, sorry. In this scene, the flowers that she arranges are pink and orange, almost like they're representing Brie and Rex in this moment, because orange is kind of her colour. Orange is very much her colour. Yeah, so Brie with the orange, Rex with the pink, like his tie from earlier was pink. It's mm. almost like in this moment, this is these are their colours that are in the shot, because it's all about them. It is. Even if they're talking about George. Yeah. No, no. There's no purple, because... She doesn't see him as... He's not a threat. No. He's he's not a threat, but Rex considers him a threat, but Bree isn't really considering George the same way that Rex is considering George. Bree's not concerned, and Bree's the one who is the main. Therefore, yeah. we're not seeing the purple, because the purple is in Rex's eyes. Also, there's no purple in that scene physically. Exactly, because the purple is in Rex's head, not yeah. Bree's. Bree's not concerned about it. But no, I mean, like, George isn't physically in that scene anyway. Oh, no, no, I'm, just, like, I'm making yeah. a symbolic connection. Like... It really frustrates me that Rex couldn't even say yes to Brie. You couldn't just Like, lie. you couldn't just lie. Like, I know people don't like to lie or whatever, but there's a difference between a lie and, like, a little white lie. Or at least he could have delivered what he was saying a bit nicer. Yeah, he well, like, he was like, oh, you know, no, my hands don't tremble, but we've been married 18 years, which I don't see as being rude. I see it as being real. Well, if he said honest. it the way that you just said it, I think it would have been fine, but he laughed. <laughs> yeah, he did laugh. It's the laugh. But Yeah, but I think he laughed because the idea of his hands trembling still now after 18 years is to him probably quite laughable because it's like oh well, you know it's been 18 years like are you kidding of course not like, <laughs> but i just think you know sometimes a woman just likes to be told yes 
whether it's true or not, it's irrelevant in this sort of situation. Because yeah. sometimes if a woman says to you, oh, you know, do, do I look good today? Or, oh, do, you, do I still make you happy? Just say yes. I think there's just a nice art form in presenting your truth in a nice way. Yes. I think Rex needs to learn that. I think men need to learn that. Men do need to learn that. Rex is very much a, a man. A country club golf man whose heart is whose heart sucks. Yes. <laughs> okay, so on to a very good scene now, I think. We go to the pharmacy and Gabby asks a saleswoman for some advice on a home pregnancy test. And she then asks the saleswoman if she can... Ginger, I'd like to point out the saleswoman's name is Ginger. Ginger. Um, Ginger. I was trying to... Have you been on holiday? <laughs> I wasn't on holiday, Babs. I was in solitary confinement. <laughs> See you later, dollface. Ginger. <laughs> it's nice to get a bit of time to yourself. <laughs> in fact, she does give me ginger vibes. Who? Ginger. Ginger, ginger oh, yeah, gives me yeah. ginger vibes. <laughs> She's the total ginger. It's the chicken lady. <laughs> Um, she asks Ginger if she can use the bathroom and Ginger says it's for employees only. But along comes George to save the day and allows Gabby to use it before berating the saleswoman for apparently being rude to customers. Not apparently, she was rude. And this, I, is, this is why we like George. I didn't see her as being that rude. She was, it was her tone. No, it's for employees only. But I didn't hear it like that. I heard it as, it's for employees only. You had, you didn't hear it like that because you were never very good in customer service. Just. <gasps> Fantastic in customer service. You, I have you, literally you spent. You used to tell me that people would come in and you'd be like, oh, just give me, get the coffee and make them leave. But yeah, that is literally what I would do at Costa because there's yeah, a difference. Exactly. There's a difference between the customer service with the kind of customers that I had to deal with when I worked at Tesco to the kinds of customers that I had to deal with when I worked at Costa. And y'all know who you are. I am just saying right now to our listeners, you know who you are. Okay, but if you're going to use that as your excuse, how do you think Ginger feels about the, the particular customers they get at a pharmacy? Exactly. At a pharmacy. So I don't, I'm not calling her out for her, you know, abruptness with Gabby. First of all, Gabby, pay for the pregnancy test and then you can use the toilet. <laughs> I would have more sympathy for Gabby if Gabby paid for this pregnancy test. But not one moment, I'm just going to say right now, not one moment in this scene does Gabby pay for that damn pregnancy test. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, George saves the day, comes along, allows Gabby to use it, berates Ginger for talking rudely to the customers. And however, George's whole persona changes as soon as he sees Brie walk in. Mm. Like he snaps from shut up or I'll keep you out back where no one can see your face to Brie. <laughs> <laughs> Brie tells George she can't go to the expo, but George instantly believes it's Rex that's put this idea in her mind. And in an attempt to convince Brie that he isn't in love with her, he pretends he's dating Ginger, the saleswoman. This changes, or as Brie calls her, the stock girl? Rude. <laughs> right? So middle-class white. This changes everything for Brie, who invites George to, and Ginger, sorry, invites George and Ginger to Carlos's leaving barbecue, hoping that Rex will see them together and relax a little bit. <laughs> we then hear, son of a bitch! from the employee toilet before Gabby crashes through the door, tells George that they're out of toilet paper, yes. <laughs> sees Brie, tells her she'll call her later and rushes out without paying for the clearly used pregnancy test. <laughs> I, okay, I'm just gonna go straight back to the way that George spoke to Ginger earlier. I would literally put in a complaint if my manager spoke to me like that. Okay, but she, there was, is, she was being rude. There is, yeah, she may have been being rude, but the way that George spoke to her was incredibly unprofessional too. I would have just fired her by now if she makes you snap because she's that rude all the time. Yeah, but I don't think she is that rude all the time. I think George is a mental case. <laughs> I'm not saying he's not. I don't necessarily but... think that Ginger makes George snap all the time. I think that George is just such a loose cannon that no matter what Ginger does, he'll snap. <laughs> the neon prescription sign in the background is pink. Pink is George's colour. 
in this episode. And uh, the walls that surround the prescriptions are purple, which is Rex's colour. Oh, no orange! Which is interesting because obviously the looming pink of George looms over the purple of Rex. Rex because he's in control of that prescription and therefore Rex's life. <gasps> is that a coincidence, the pink and purple there? I think not. I know, absolutely not. Now there's too much of it in the one episode. Like, if it could have been just like a simple coincidence if it was just the flower scene at the beginning, but the fact that it's consistently throughout all of them, no, not coincidence, gag. Yeah. Oh, that's a good spot, babe. So, Tom comes home to an upset Lynette who's hurt that he didn't tell her that he hired his ex-girlfriend and kept it from her for three months. Tom tries to use technicalities to get out of it, such as, Technically, Peterson found her. I just vouched for her. (laughs) Before moving on to the I feel bad card. You know, I'm just helping her out. She was devastated when I left her for you. Lynette brazenly asks Tom if he still has feelings for her and this seems to be too much for him and he goes to walk away. But Lynette continues trying to get what she thinks is the truth out of him. Tom reiterates that he was just trying to be a good guy and Lynette suggests that maybe they could transfer her and Tom calls her crazy. Lynette tells Tom that if Annabelle stays and she will be at his office every day watching her and Tom tells Lynette they best get her a parking space then as she's not going anywhere. Ooh, Lynette and Tom made me so angry. Hiring Annabelle was a bad idea. It was never going to be comfortable, but it was also an adult thing to do. However, you then need to follow this through by telling Lynette about it. Have trust in your partner. Have, have faith in her that she's going to take it okay or you're just going to end up like Gabby and Carlos. Yeah, but I also... Will Lynette have really taken it okay? That's what I'm saying. You have to have faith in her. And if she doesn't, then she doesn't. Yeah. that's it's, She's an adult. She's going to take it out. She takes it. Yeah. Jealousy is really not a very good look for Lynette. No, but nor is lying from Tom. No, but you know, we're used to that from Tom by now. <laughs> I mean, not telling someone something because you know it's going to make them mad when you really should tell them is a coward's way out. Oh, yeah. And to be fair, I would probably react the same way as Lynette if you hired an ex and didn't tell me about it. Exactly. Which is why if I had to do that, I'd probably tell you right away. You know, like I've done this. I've had to do it. Because she is good at what she does, but you have nothing to worry about. <laughs> I love how she's a she. No, I mean, I was just trying to see. Girl, please, I'm not threatened by a woman. <laughs> no offense, ladies. So, Sophie is hanging up one of those room partition things that have, like, the beads on them. I'm not really sure what they're called. No, we're not in Mexico. What no, are you doing? We're not in Mexico, wow. Uh, claiming it spices up the room. But Susan doesn't seem to be overly keen on it when suddenly the doorbell goes and it's Zach leaving a flower on the doorstep for Susan as an apology for throwing stones in her eyes, telling her that he wants them to be friends as it must be really hard for Julie to see her boyfriend and her mother fighting. (laughs) Susan then takes it upon herself to really drive home to Zach the fact that Julie is not interested in seeing him anymore. Zach doesn't believe her and starts to yell before Paul yells across the street for Zach to come home. Felicia sees this from Martha's house while she's like watering plants and Zach begs Susan not to ruin this for him with some sad music playing but Susan goes inside leaving them all forlorn on the doorstep and Felicia really seems to be interested in what she's just seen and we get a little flashback with Felicia and Martha. Hooray! All I've got to say is that Zach is proper give me Norman Bates vibes. He is so deluded and so creepy. Cody Cash who's the actor for Zach had to pause it and double check is such a good actor yeah. Like his ability to go from a miserable, pathetic nerd to sociopathic, cocky ass is just amazing. Yeah. He can just do it in a sentence. There's literally one sentence he's miserable nerd, the next he's cocky arrogant, and then he's back to miserable nerd again. He oh. goes from angry to sad to, um, actually, if you think about it, it kind of is. Like, <laughs> just, yeah. Yeah. So, let's move on to the flashback. Mrs. Hoover! Woo! Martha asks Felicia how she knows Mary Alice, as she is her neighbour in Fairview. Felicia doesn't recognise the name, but as soon as Martha shows her the picture that Felicia's hung, Felicia corrects her, telling her that that's Angela Forrest, not Mary Alice. So, she then proceeds to tell Martha everything that happened with Angela, and, girl, it's a story, so let me just lay it down (laughs) for you right now, as quickly as I can, but leaving in all of the information. So, Felicia and Mary Alice worked at the rehab centre in Utah around 17 years ago, 15, about 15 at the time, with a disturbed young woman who gave birth to a baby boy. About a year after, 
after, May, Alice, and Paul disappear from Utah. Not long after that, Felicia heard that the child was missing too. People believe it was just a coincidence, but Felicia believes May, Alice gave the child a proper home. What was that? <laughs> that was me like, oh my god, girl, this is the tea. <laughs> okay. So, Martha is shocked to hear that you know, her neighbour stole a baby, and the rest, as we know now, is history. Blackmail, murder, yada yada yada. unfolding. Yeah. And Felicia thinks that Martha shouldn't look shocked because it makes her face look fat. Yeah, they both are so... Sassy, sassy with each other. They sass each other so naturally. Don't be dense, Felicia. Don't you think I know my own neighbour? <laughs> yeah. Don't look shocked, Martha. It makes your face look fat. <laughs> but I like if that how... is your neighbour, which I doubt. <laughs> but I like how the story's unfolding a bit more at a time, and it's all coming together just a little bit. It is slowly coming together. But... It is explained later why Mary Alice goes to Fairview. Yeah. I think it's like a later season or something. So it, for now, it seems like a massive coincidence, but I think they've probably realised, the writers probably realised at some point in the future, that's a real huge coincidence, and so we need to clear that up. <laughs> so they clear it up. I mean, I know it's a small world, but America's a big place. America's a very big place. All the little towns. Lynette turns up to Tom's office to speak to Annabelle, and Annabelle wants to go to lunch with Lynette to talk and catch up. But Lynette straight up asks her if she's got feelings for Tom. Annabelle denies this, saying that she isn't looking to break up a happy couple, as that's more Lynette's thing. <laughs> then an awkward stare-off ensues. And then, finally, Lynette tells Annabelle to watch her step as their marriage is rock solid, but Annabelle calls Lynette out and basically says that if it's that rock solid, why is she there to warn her? Oh, the spice in this scene. That, like, spice. Anna oh. Annabelle could break through walls with her stare. She delivers a fantastic stare. Mm. I could literally just watch her staring at people all day. <laughs> Gabby visits Father Crowley, who immediately knew that she had done something wrong. <laughs> I guess that's really the only reason she visits him. She tells him that she's pregnant, and that God is screwing with her, and that she's being punished. And when asked what she may have done to be punished by God, he then realises that she's gone back to sleeping with John. <laughs> Gabby uses the affair as an example of her being an awful mother due to her selfishness, and Carlos being an awful father due to his selfishness, but... She is there because she wants to know who to be angry at. That's why she's gone to speak to Father Crowley. Uh, Father Crowley tells her that perhaps she shouldn't be angry as children are a gift. But this doesn't seem to be the answer that she came for and she leaves because she has to plan Carlos's party. Yeah, why do people go to priests to talk about their problems? They never make you feel better about anything. They never do make you feel better. Go to a, go to like a therapist or a psychologist or something or a counsellor. That's or what an... they're there for. Yeah. With the training. Or an abortionist. Oh, abortionist. Is that what they're called? I don't know, but if you don't want the baby, go to the vacuum cleaners. Oh my god. <laughs> Lynette visits Edie's worksite to ask her for advice on the Tom and Annabelle situation, what with Edie being a predator, according <laughs> to Lynette. After telling her story to Edie, I think is what I was meant to write, um, Edie thinks it was good of Lynette to come to her. After finding out that Annabelle is gorgeous, she tells Lynette there's only one way to handle the situation, and she tells Lynette to keep her friends close and her enemies closer. Lynette runs home and tells Tom that she's going to plan a dinner party and she's going to invite Annabelle. Yeah, at least when Lynette refers to Edie as a predator, she just smiles and owns it. Edie knows, Edie knows what she's about. Edie totally knows what she's about. Edie's literally just like, yeah, you're not wrong. But um, what Edie basically just said in this scene was that she doesn't really have any women friends on Wisteria Lane that are actually her friends because she keeps them close so that she doesn't feel threatened. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was actually quite sad. Yeah, well, Edie tried at the very beginning, didn't she? Like, she tried to be friends with them. But then Susan messed it up. Yeah, Susan did pretty much mess it up. Yeah. I don't know, it's kind of sad. It is really sad. Paul is trying to convince Zach to move, yet again, this time because Susan definitely knows something. Zach doesn't care because he isn't leaving Julie, who he loves, and Paul decides to play the best father of Wisteria Lane card and breaks Zach down by telling him that he's not that special you're and you're not that bright. <laughs> What's that from? What? Oh, that's from a Cinderella story. Oh, God. You're not that pretty and you're not that bright. <laughs> Zack without glasses isn't a great look. It's, is it not? I don't really pay much attention. No, it's I not. It looks like crumpled up clay. 
Um, so yeah, Paul tells Zach that he's not that special and that Judy could get any guy she wants. So why would she go for him? When when he's like, if she doesn't love me, then what's the that nothing matters anymore? It just really brought me back to when Susan said, "I know that being dramatic is every teenager's birthright, but come on." Right? Paul is desperate to leave the mess behind and start over, and Zach is just nothing but an overdramatic teenager telling Paul that even if the police come to take them both away, it doesn't matter. Not without Judy. He's so dramatic. <laughs> But the way that Paul talks to Zach and breaks him down, it, that breaks my heart. Sociopathic! He, he's such a troubled boy, and a lot of it probably stems from Paul. I mean, probably. Lynette quickly, very quickly, I might like to add, plans a dinner party. But only Annabelle is there, really. So is it really a dinner party, or are you just having someone over for dinner? No, you just it's just a guest. Yeah, just, just having a guest. Lynette catches Annabelle and Tom holding hands at the table, I would like to point out. And just as she notices that, the kids come downstairs to see their mum and dad. Lynette lets them come down and join the party, and they bring with them a delightful photo of their happy family. Painting. Oh, uh, yeah, painting, sorry. Picture I should have written, really. Yeah. Um, and they quickly say that their mum told them to paint it, which yeah. Lynette laughs off. She was like, oh, I just told them to, to paint something. I didn't, I wasn't specific. Oh. But kids, kids tell the truth a lot of the time. They're just laying out, they're like, well, she told us to. Yeah, kids don't see anything wrong about it. Kids aren't supposed to lie. Like, <laughs> they're not taught to lie. They're not getting the subtlety of the situation. Like, but you wanted us to paint a happy family of us. <laughs> Tom takes them back upstairs as soon as they start to compliment Annabelle and Lynette isn't really happy about that. Uh, Annabelle tells Lynette that the dinner party was a wonderful example of the perfect family and that she could not have planned this evening any better. Which Keyword was, being planned. That was sassy. She's like, you couldn't have planned it any better. I was to say, I know you planned it. You obviously didn't go do a good job and that's pretty much you all over. Annabelle is delivering 90% of the sass in this episode yeah. and I love her for that. Susan is taking out the trash, and behind her is more trash. Bye, Julie. Um, right, and, but the, the trash that's behind her is Paul. And Paul jumps straight to it, telling Susan he knows they broke into his house, and lets Susan ask any questions she wants about Angela. He then tells Susan that Angela was her birth name, and was named after her aunt, but after having a falling out, she changed her name to Mary Alice. Do you use the word aunt or auntie? Because I use the word auntie. I use the word auntie. I think aunt sounds so posh. I also think it sounds quite... Hoity-toity. Elderly. Yeah. Like, I've got Auntie Jackie, Auntie Karen, but I'd never call them Aunt Jackie or Aunt Karen. It would just sound weird. Yeah, like, I've got Auntie Helen and Auntie Susan, but I would never say, hey, Aunt Susan. Hello, Aunt Jackie. <laughs> it's just a little bit upper class, and it also makes me feel like my Aunt Susan would, or my Aunt Helen would be, like, 70. Yeah. Also, and they're like great aunts as opposed to just casual aunties. <laughs> Susan tells Paul it doesn't seem like something Mary Alice would do, but Paul says neither was suicide. <laughs> yeah, just throw that, just, out, just throw that out there. <laughs> Susan tells Paul she wants to see the video she found, and it would be nice to see her, Mary Alice, I mean, when she was young. But Paul tells her he threw it out with the other tapes and asks Susan to leave his family alone now as her obsession is just a little bit pathetic. Yeah, I broke into your house, but can I borrow that tape? Yeah, the one that I dropped on the sofa and couldn't get again. I can find it. I know this isn't really related to what's actually happening in the scene, but another random lamp on in the background in some little hallway area that's not being used. Why are there always so many lights on in yeah. these shows? Behind oh, the in Susan's... In, in Susan's... Paul's, oh, Paul's place. In the little hallway behind the door. There's always lamps on all over the place in these in these shows. Mm. I know it is literally to light the scene. The, yeah. They never explain in shows why there's so many lights on. Mm. Like, let's just light up the entire house. Yeah, it's very... um. And then stay in the lounge. Yeah, it's very strange. It's a very strange thing. Annabelle's cell phone is ringing. We're back at the party now, by the way. Um, I said party. Dinner party. <laughs> Loose term. Um, and it's her and Tom's boss. And she leaves the room to take the call. And Tom compliments Lynette on the unsubtle show she put on tonight. Tom tells Lynette that he is insulted and calls her insecure for putting all of this together when he's given her no reason to doubt him, telling Lynette that Annabelle is ancient history. Hold on. <laughs> Have I ever given you reason to doubt me? Yes. 
I mean, yeah. Literally today, Lynette has found out that you hired this woman and didn't tell her, and that's just one example, and that's just from today. Yeah, that is correct. Um, anyway, carry on. Tom asks Lynette how long it will be before she actually trusts him, with him taking it one step too far and telling Lynette it feels like she won't ever be happy until she drives him out of the marriage herself just to prove herself right. He immediately knew that what he said was horrible and he tries to take it back, but Lynette tells him that it's too late, obviously, because that's the thing with words. Once you say them, they, they can't be taken back. <laughs> Annabelle then comes back into the room telling Tom that Peterson wants him at the office and they may be pulling an all-nighter. They leave with Lynette clearly hurt by Tom's comments. Yeah, I uh, I love, I liked this scene. Lynette and Tom's fallouts are so intriguing to watch because they actually feel so real. Mm. Like, a lot of the time, you really can see both sides. Sometimes it is clearly you're on Lynette's side, but sometimes Lynette's being crazy and you're on Tom's side. I... But a lot of the time, you can see both sides. It's just like, they're a lot more dynamic than other couples in the show. Yeah, I find that... The the relationship that's built between Tom and Lynette is the most realistic, it's the most believable marriage on the show. All the others are dysfunctional in an overdramatic way. Yes. Tom and Lynette's, although they are very overdramatic, it's also still not unbelievable when yeah. you watch it. You watch it and think, yeah, that could be a legitimate thing that happens to a couple with this legitimate reaction. Yeah, this is big praise to these actors as well because, um, I mean, I'm not shading the other ones. I'm just saying that when you look at any other couple in this show, although they're not badly acted or anything, Tom and Lynette feel like a real couple. The others feel like a TV couple in comparison, I yeah. feel. Like, the dynamic isn't quite the same. Yeah. So, big props to Tom and Lynette because they just seem like an actual couple. It's great. Yeah, I can't remember what Tom's... Oh, Doug. Doug and Felicity. Well done. Yeah, they're great together. They are really good together. Uh, so, we move on to Carlos's big barbecue that Gabby's really not stopped talking about the entire episode. Finally! <laughs> Carlos is cooking the meat for the barbecue. This is going to be a bit choppy because it's quite a choppy scene. Yeah, everyone's so, in the scene at different bits and pieces. Yeah, so I'm going to try and keep it as simple as possible, but there might be moments that I talk about things that are earlier than... than I believe in you, let's do this. Carlos is cooking the meat for the barbecue and gets Gabby to take over whilst he gives a speech. The smell of the cooking meat proves to be a bit too overwhelming for Gabby, who has to run off to the bathroom after Carlos's speech. Carlos gives a speech about how going to jail really shows you who your true friends are and blah, blah, blah. And Paul and Zach turn up and Julie immediately feels awkward. <laughs> Gabby runs to the bathroom. <laughs> On her way there, she steals the champagne from Sophie's hand and George and Ginger turn up with George telling Ginger to shut up and stay there until he needs her. Oh, he was so mean to her. He was so mean to her. <laughs> I don't want to make a name for myself for being mean to or about kids, but Zach and Julie look like absolute trash in this scene. They really do. I can't even, I don't know where to start. I mean, Zach with your massive blazer looking like a dwarf in regular men's clothing. Julie again looking like a 60 year old that's gone to the local home to play Mahjong. You'd be best friends with Jinx Monsoon. She, oh, <laughs> she would be. <laughs> Up in the bathroom, Gabby tries to get rid of her nausea and she pours herself a glass of champagne before remembering that she's preggers and she can't drink, so she throws it down the sink. <laughs> Why are she... you talking like you're from Strood? <laughs> <laughs> Trying to make you feel a bit more comfortable. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Um, she takes out her pills and she takes anger on the packet before noticing that they've been tampered with and she becomes livid. You know, like in um, Kill Bill, where it's like, Ree, Ree, Ree. <laughs> Another massive coincidence. The writers are like, how are we going to make her find out? We'll, right. we'll get her to take out on the pills. We'll just get her to get really angry with the pills. And <laughs> uh, Zach gives Julie a hot dog and tries to get her to play some croquet with him, but she finally snaps, which couldn't be any more middle-class white. Um, she finally snaps and tells Zach that she doesn't want to be his girlfriend, so just leave her alone. Rex sees George, and they get into an argument with Rex believing that he crashed the party. Both Bree and George try to convince Rex that Ginger is his girlfriend, but he doesn't believe him, and instead of apologising, Rex pushes George into the pool. George grabs Bree as he falls and they both go in. <laughs> and once again, in the background, we've got pink and purple clashing. This... Do it again with the balloons. Yeah, 
the balloons, but this time they are literally clashing because all the balloons are together. So mm -hmm. you've got the pink balloons, the purple balloons, and they're all mashed together. In previous shots, the pink and the purple are a bit separated, but now that there's a collision between these characters, they are just touching everything. Oh my god, it's so well done. Yeah, I could be making something out of nothing, but there you go. Hey, it's been too much of a coincidence for it to mean nothing. It's too consistent. Yeah. But yeah, film student battle. Mm -hmm. Gabby storms downstairs, calling Carlos the son of a bitch. Again, that's like her favourite saying in this episode. Twice. And slapping him around the face for tampering with her pills before storming out of the house. And Edie believes this is one hell of a party. It is one hell of a party. All of the guests must be loving this. Someone, they just were. Got, someone was thrown into a pool, someone got slapped. You can see their reactions in the background. They're like, each one of them is like me. I'm like, oh, gag. Oh my god, so dramatic. Oh, yes. best barbecue ever. Oh. So, so much drama. Gabby is outside the house looking all miserable and Susan comes out to check on her, telling her that it's great news, even if right now it feels like it's horrible. Gabby tells Susan she doesn't know who the father is, and Susan is disappointed to hear about her and John. Suddenly in the background, Susan's kitchen explodes, uh, but the rest of her house seems fine. Yeah, that, that was a bit unexpected. It was majorly <laughs> unexpected. Two, two times in one season there's been a house fire. Yeah, although this is a bit more dramatic. This was an explosion. This was a literal explosion, and they had the camera placed perfectly so that the kitchen window where all the fire shoots out of Susan's house is right in between Gabby and Susan's face. This whole barbecue was an explosion. Just one explosion after another. It, yeah. So, Susan's talking to the fire officer, fire marshal. Uh, fireman? Fireman? Fireman! I don't know why that, that word was the one that didn't come to my mind. Susan's talking to the fireman, um, who tells her that someone left the gas on and a candle burning, and Sophie is sure she blew out her French vanilla fantasy candle she, before she they left. She even reenacts it. She like reenacts it, she's like, I'm almost positive! Yes! <laughs> <laughs> Sophie. Such a mood. Um, the officer tells them that luckily the fire was contained, but they need to be more careful. At this moment, Susan looks out of what was once her kitchen window, and we can clearly see Paul staring back at her from outside of his place, with Susan telling the officer that they will definitely be more careful. Yep, Susan's staring out a window moment, or, uh, well, a hole Staring in... out of a massive gaping hole in her property. Yeah. <laughs> a hole in the wall on this occasion, but there was a window there. <laughs> there was a window, so we count it. I guess it's technically still a window, because it's a square. True. I don't know. <laughs> what makes it a window? Is it the glass? Is it the ability to open? Or know. is it just like a hole? Because I don't think a hole would constitute as a window because that would just be a hole. <laughs> <laughs> so Paul doesn't seem to care that she knows it's him. No, Or Paul's... that she thinks she knows it's him anyway. Because it was a warning. That's all it was. Paul's literally stood there staring at her like, I hope you realise that that could have been worse. I bet he was, warning he was just standing there staring across the street for ages just waiting for her to see him. And everyone else was just walking past like they're not noticing this stare off between Paul and Susan. <laughs> Let's just throw this in there as well. Paul, evil stare moment as well. Yeah. Yeah. Even though it's pretty much the end of the season if we've gone soon. Yeah. Bree comes to the pharmacy to apologise to George for what Rex did. And George believes that Rex hates him. But Bree disagrees because they don't even know each other. No, yeah, he hates you. But finally, Bree makes the decision to remain being friends with George without Rex knowing. Hooray, friendship affair. Kind of like Tom and Annabelle's a little bit. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Susan grabs the yellow pages and hires a PI to dig some dirt up on Paul. But when the camera cuts to who the PI is, it's Mr. Shaw, who is the same PI that Paul used to find out who blackmailed Mary Alice earlier this season. Like, there's a lot of coincidences in this episode. Surely, surely there would be more than one PI. Maybe he's got the best, like, trust pilot rating. Maybe, maybe he's got, like, the most eye-catching ad in the Yellow Pages. He's got to be good because he's got that massive, like, amount of real estate on the Yellow Pages. Yeah. Like, he, he's obviously made himself stand out and I guess it's not really a coincidence. No, it's the yeah. one that your eye goes to, yeah. which is clearly why Susan went to it, I guess, but... This is going to be Mr. Shaw's easiest job because Susan's like, I'll pay you to get dirt on Paul and he's like, I've already got dirt on Paul, I worked Whack. on him for, like, a month. Like, so... he just starts flicking through his Paul Young folder. He's like, okay, well... <laughs> 
pay me now and I'll give you all of the details right now. <laughs> Brilliant. That leads us to the ending with Mary Alice discussing spring again, but that not everybody remembers to stop and smell the flowers. With some being too busy worrying about the future, the mistakes they make, not getting caught or catching someone in Susan's case. And then we see a shot of Zach in the darkness staring at a dozen pictures of Julie he has on his wall. At a really unflattering angle. Really unflattering angle. And yeah. also like just... Where's he got all of these photos from? I reckon he, he holds his hand above the lighter to see how long he can take the pain. Like, proper emo. <gasps> yeah! Because he did have the lighter, didn't he? I reckon he stole those photos of Julie from her place when he was staying there. It's a bit creepy. L- majorly creepy. Yeah. Zach is George. <laughs> Zach is Norman Bates. Zach is a younger George. I wonder what her skin would feel like on my skin. Ew. <laughs> So that leads us to the end of the episode. Yeah, that's the end of episode 20, Fear No More. Yeah, right. So thanks for listening, guys. Bye. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> so we normally move on to a segment about the title and themes of the episode. In terms of the title, I, I don't see any any relevance, really. Um, I want to say I had a relevance in my mind before we started discussing the episode, and it's completely gone. Well, it's just because the song sounds like it's about not fearing the inevitability of death, and I don't get that from this episode at all. But maybe there is more of a loose connection, so it's very much not fearing inevitability in general, not, like, just inevitable things as opposed to just death. So Carlos can't fear him going to prison, that's inevitable now, that's going to happen. Gabby shouldn't fear, you know, motherhood. Yeah. Because that, currently, it seems, is very much inevitable for her. She's Catholic, so they don't agree. Catholicism is very anti-abortion. What I found the most interesting, as always, is Tom and Lynette's dynamic. Mm-hmm. At least in one scene. <laughs> but also, Rex and George just stole the episode for me. They were so interesting. They're, the way they clash is super interesting. Yeah, it was very well done, this episode. And I am very intrigued to see how the whole Rex, Bree and Paul thing... Paul? Rex, Bree and George thing will um, turn out. Yeah. Actually. Oh. So let's move on to Joel's segment of the best and the worst fashion choices of this episode. Let's start with the best. Joel, what have you got for us? So the best fashion outfit I have got is Fabri at the flower show at the nearly the beginning of the episode. Because it was conceptual, it was colourful. She is spring. She was giving me Persephone, the house down boots. And so <laughs> she gets the award for Wisteria Lane's best outfit of this week. Oh damn, well earned. Very well earned. She looked amazing. Persephone is Brie Light. Um, what would be your pick for the worst fashion choice of this episode? The worst fashion choice will go to, although I am tempted to give it to Gabby, I did give it to her last week, so I can't do that again two weeks in a row. So I will give it to Susan for that, like, dungaree cap. <laughs> Uh, like whatever it was farmer hillbilly podunk outfit that she had going for her (laughs) normally i'm a fan of double denim i love a a good double denim thank you Brittany, for bringing double denim into our lives but susan double denim is not your friend who Brittany? yeah she was giving me a little her on the prairie vibes and i wasn't digging it no she was she was giving me yeah not good vibes that must have been a hard choice because this this episode was chock-a-block with terrible choices it was and we say to all of those terrible choices oh jesus gross but we mostly say it to Susan for that outfit. Dungarees are not a good look. Dungarees are not a good look. So anyway, who would you give the award for best parent to? Oh. Best parent of the episode. Okay, so the award for best parent, <laughs> slim pickings again, quite a shocker I know, would go to Gabby for not drinking whilst pregnant, even though she was about to. 
Well, she resisted her urges to do whatever she wants for someone else, which is quite a big thing for Gabby. I would say that is quite a big thing for Gabby. Like, even though she knows she doesn't really want that child, she's not ready for motherhood, she had that glass of champagne in her hand, she could have literally just drank it right there and then. And if she did it, we'd be like, yeah, that's Gabby. But she didn't, and I feel like her pouring that champagne down the sink was a bit of a... That was quite a strong move. Yeah, that was a step in the right direction for Gabby, proving to herself that she isn't too selfish for a baby. Yeah. That's also the very first time you've given that award to Gabby. Yeah. (laughs) Won't be the last. (laughs) I'm sure. (laughs) The worst parent... Worst parent of the episode. And, oh my gosh, this was a hard thing to choose as well. Was that also Gabby? Just like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Just like the worst choice for fashion in this episode, the worst choice for parent was also difficult because they all sucked. But the worst parent I'm giving to Paul Young for bringing down Zach rather than lifting him up, which yes. is your responsibility as a father. What kind of dad says, she'll never go for you, you're nothing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not special. Yeah, she could have anyone she wants. You think she'd choose you, you nerd? Trash. It was yeah. a hard choice because on the other hand, we had Susan and that whole opening segment. Cool. Yeah, so that was the end of Season 1, Episode 20, Fear No More. Yeah. Join us again next week for Episode 21, Sunday in the Park with George, which admittedly is the only episode I actually ever remember of Desperate Housewives. The only episode title I I ever remember is Sunday in the Park with George. So before we shoot off... um... If people want to find us on our socials, where can they find us, Joe? So you can find us on Instagram at Boyfriends Review, and you can find us on Twitter at BFS Review. You can also email us. Our email is boyfriendsreview at outlook.com. Our artwork is done by our friend Louis. You can find him on Instagram at DocRedMonkDesign, where you'll also find a link to his Etsy page because he does do commissions. He does. He's currently going to be working on our artwork for season two. Uh, I hope. I have spoken to him about it. So, Louis, will you hear this? If you haven't started already, <laughs> please do it. Um, we will be shouting in your ears again next week when we're doing Sunday in the Park with George. So, we will, see, we will talk to you then. Yes, see you later. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you.